and your mercy, holy God. Thank you. Thank you, Lord God. Hallelujah. Thank God and thank God and thank God. Everybody said praise the Lord. Let's give our God a great big hand. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. Thank God and thank God. Thank God. All right. If you have a Bible, we're going to take a look at God's Word this morning. We're glad for each and every one of you to hear and Gave you an extra hour this morning, so you know you should be perking pretty good. <laughs> we'll have to check back with you in the spring, right? Oh, boy. <laughs> All right, I'm going to turn in the Old Testament to the book of Ezra. Now, if you have a little trouble finding that, go to the book of Psalms. And then just go backwards a few pages, and you'll, you'll go through a few books, and you'll come to Ezra. E-Z-R-A, Ezra. Very beautiful day and very happy to be in God's house. Nothing like life and strength and good health, right? If you read 3 John, you'll read where he, the elder, the apostle, said he was praying that being that you would prosper and be in health. So nothing like life, strength, and good health. Thank you, Jesus. God given. God given. All right. Everybody said hallelujah. Hallelujah. All right. You know, there is a scripture here that I want to read to you. And I want us to think about our predicament, our world, our that we live in. There's much that's uh, coming down the pike, so to speak. But in Ezra, chapter 9, which puts us at the back of that book because there's only 10, 10 chapters in that book. So the ninth chapter. And I'm going to turn your attention in chapter 9 to verse 5. And at the evening sacrifice, I arose up from my heaviness, and having rent my garment and my mantle, I fell upon my knees and spread out my hands unto the Lord my God, and said, O oh my God, I am ashamed and blush to lift up my face to thee, my God, for our iniquities are increased over our head, and our trespass is grown up into the heavens. Everybody said, praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Sound like a beginning of a very good prayer. I want to talk to you, though, for a little bit this morning on how we can improve our situation. The Lord bless you. There is a, a little background here I, I need to give you with regards to how this comes about. But the scripture teaches that there was a kingdom named of Babylon and a king by the name of Nebuchadnezzar and how that he had uh, been used of God, was even called the servant of the Lord and that uh, God had allowed 
Nebuchadnezzar and his kingdom to come and carry away Israel into captivity. And they had transgressed God in such a manner, in such a way that, that God finally said, okay, I could tell you that God gave up. <laughs> I really could prove that. <laughs> but uh, I like the terminology sometimes. God gave certain people up. And uh, that's very scary to me. I don't want God to quit on me or give up on me or throw up his hands. Uh, I want to send signals. And that's why I said Ezra sure sounded like he was sending some very good signals, good prayer that he was, you know, you read in the Bible about that guy in the book of Luke and how that he came to the altar and he began to think within himself. You know, well, you know, God can read your mind. He knows your thoughts, your innermost thoughts. And uh, this guy was, you know, thanking God that he uh, did certain things right. He was pretty stuck on his self-righteousness. And, um, and so bragging on himself, he even thought about the other person that was near him, but not quite that close, but, you know, maybe one on one side, one on the other, something like that. And that individual, the Bible said he wouldn't even lift up his eyes to heaven. But he simply smote himself and just said, God, be merciful unto me. I'm a sinner. Oh, God. You know, God really likes those words. He likes that tone. He likes when we come humbly. You know, if you exalt yourself, the book said you're, you're fixing to hit the down button on the elevator and you're going to the basement. But if you humble yourself, you're hitting the up button and you'll be exalted. God will lift you up. And, of course, the choice is ours. Uh, if you have trouble with your attitude, if you're a bit of a snip and a snot and <laughs> or a bully or something, and uh, just show a bad attitude, uh, you can do something about that. You can present yourself to God humbly and instead of bragging on yourself and trusting in your own self-righteousness, you can let God know that you know. You know, my pastor used to make a statement. He said, you know that I know that God knows that you know that I know. <laughs> Woo, he'd take you around the merry-go-round on that one. And we'd all laugh. But, friend, you know, it comes down to that God is aware of the thoughts of our hearts. And uh, that you're not going to get anything by him. You may think you get it by the pastor and the leadership. You may think that. And you might for a little while. But, you know, uh, every tree is known by the fruit it bears. Or not. Or not. The Bible teaches that Jesus was Going along with the disciples one day, it looked like a sunny, nice day, getting about the business, bringing the gospel in different cities, villages, towns. And, and they're going along, and Jesus went over to a tree. And I don't know if he was hungry or what, but he looked at that tree, and he gave it an inspection. And he didn't see any fruit. And I suppose the reason he was looking a little closer was under the leaves of that kind of tree, there were little buds or berries that would start to show and giving promise of fruit to come. He didn't find any, evidently. And so he just cursed that tree. Now, he didn't do things in anger, not usually. But what he did was give them an object lesson. And he had a tree here that had been planted and wasn't bearing any fruit. So now the tree, no doubt, thought it was all that. Look at my latest leaves. Aren't I pretty? You know, or whatever. <laughs> I got the latest Gucci leaves on, you know. <laughs> and uh, But the Lord, the Lord cursed that tree. And they went on their way, doing their daily chore and visitation. And when they were coming back by, the apostles were astonished. They said, man, uh, that tree you cursed, Master, it, it's withered away and died. And Jesus taught them a lesson, you know. 
I, I like the other lesson particularly, though. Uh, I guess I like it because it kind of goes with what something that Ezra said, uh, that there's yet hope. There's yet hope concerning this thing. And um, I read in the Bible, also in the book of Job, where through the scent of water, you know, that a tree could come back to life. Just the scent of it, just the smell of it. You ever step outside and get the scent that rain is coming? It's in the air. You get that scent of water. And, uh, yeah, there was a tree cut down and just a little bit of life in it. And when the scent of water, it caused it to begin to grow, begin to come back. Make a comeback. And so Jesus, in another instance in the New Testament, there was uh, a, a situation, and there was a tree, and the, the Lord had visited the tree, he said, three years, no fruit. Came back three times, kept hoping, no fruit. And so he said to the person responsible, that would be the pastor, said, cut it down. Said, why cumbereth the ground with it? In other words, we waste in space. Take that out and we'll plant something new. And uh, But the pastor, the leadership, begin to intercede. You're reading about, about intercessory prayer. Begin to intercede. And... and uh, just give me another year. Let me let me fertilize around it. Let me, you know, put some of that good stuff around it and and coax it a little bit and baby it a little bit and pray over it a little bit. <laughs> and uh, you know, give me a little more time. The scary part is the last thing God said was cut it down. Why cumber the ground with it? That was the last thing He said. <laughs> oh, brother. But I've read where, you know, it was funny to me, anyway, reading about an example with Moses. Moses evidently knew how to use psychology with God. <laughs> I loved it. I thought, wow, that's great. Good job, Moses. And, uh, but God, God was a little bit upset that day. And uh, I don't believe he woke up with a sore tooth. <laughs> I don't believe that was the cause. I believe the problem was that uh, people were, were being obstinate. They were being a tad rebellious, maybe more than a tad. Maybe they were a tadpole rebellious, and uh, it was growing. And uh, they, the Lord said, I'm going to, he said, Moses, step aside. He said, I'll wipe them out. One place he said, like a man wipeth a dish. I guess we know who did the dishes in that house, huh? <laughs> All right. I guess if you can eat what's on the plate, Brother Thomas, you can wash the plate, right? I would think so, being a married man now. And uh, I don't know if I'm divinely inspired, brother. Watch out. <laughs> Everybody said praise the Lord. Let's give God a big hand. Come on. Thank you, Lord. Nice to see you, Princess Lily. God bless you. And so, the, uh, the, the situation was such that, uh, and is such, that God was a wee bit angry, and uh, he was unhappy with attitudes and things they were doing, places they were going, things they were involving themselves with, the way they were treating leadership, and they just said, you know what? God said, just step aside. Now, if you don't think that the pastor has some sway with God, you might want to slow down and read that again. Because it was like, you know, I've, I know one general can hold back an army. I understand that. And they're waiting for his signal to move forward. And all that marching men and trained, I should say people, trained, going out in all the tanks and the armory rolling and just waiting for his signal. And God, <laughs> nobody greater than God. 
and and we we do know that there are weapons. And uh, my goodness, and he did say he was going to defend one country, which was was Israel, Jerusalem in particular, uh, like birds flying over. They have the finest air force in the world. And that's pretty much what we believe God was saying. There have been reports of men that saw angels and were present when they were definitely outnumbered. And God divinely stepped in and protected. In this case, God was telling the pastor, step aside. Just, just step aside. <laughs> I've got all this behind me, and I can feel them pushing me at the back. We're ready to, ready to come in. We're going to wipe them out, and we're going to raise up a nation out of you. We're going to go a little different direction here. It's so dangerous to get exalted, to get to thinking you're all that. You know, you get your nose so far up in the air, you might get caught on a rainy day and drowned. You know, you wanna, you wanna find that humility. God is very drawn, for good reasons, to humility. That you can have the biggest, baddest. And I don't know that we can measure and compare sin. Again, the Scripture did say that there was those that mingled their blood with sacrifice when they ate. Think about that. That don't sound like a Big Mac. <laughs> or whatever it is you like. <laughs> oh, no. And said, Jesus said, well, you suppose that they were more sinful than others? You know, he said, except you all repent. He said, you're going to perish. <laughs> and then there's uh, another example that Jesus gave. And he ended it the same way. These people did some bad stuff. He said, do you think that they were worse sinners than, than these others? And again, he said, except you repent, you shall all likewise perish. So I don't know that we can do any comparison thing there. Sin is sin. You know, wrong is wrong. But we do have a weapon, and repentance is a weapon. It will work for you. And you can, if you learn how to come before God, now if you're going to come with your nose up in the air, you know, and all, and it is a Bible term, puffed up. More than once that word is used, puffed up. And uh, we did have a brother, I was told by my pastor that his name was, <laughs> was, was something, and, they, and he, I think it was something along the, the lines of puffed up or something, and he just told him, he said, uh, he said, you know, don't puffy me up because if you do that, he said, then somebody's going to come along and they're going to puffy me down. And, you know, God has a way of doing that. But he does it to save us. He's not doing it to be mean. He's not doing it to be ugly. He doesn't send that through the, across the pulpit, you know. I've had people say, shots across the pulpit. What an odd statement I thought that was. I promise you, I don't lay awake at night thinking, hmm, how can I get this one? Oh, I'm going to get Brother Tom. Oh, I'm going to get that guy. I'm going to, I got one. I don't, sorry, don't think like that. <laughs> don't think like that at all. I, I do like happy-go-lucky. Actually, I like happy-go-blessed. I'm very happy to be in the church. I'm very happy to have the Holy Ghost. Very happy to rejoice and shout before God. Very happy about that. Very happy to live, be living for God, having the opportunity to live for God. To have this truth, to have my understanding open. I was nobody from nowhere. Wrong side of the tracks. I was lost, friend. And I was rebellious. And I was stubborn and proud. Proud about what I don't know. Didn't have anything to be proud about. I drove a 1957 MGA. You know? And on cold, I lived in the cold country. And to get started on those mornings, friend, when that oil wasn't, you know, 
it kind of more like sludge than it was oil. And, uh, but thankfully, I'd always park at the top of the hill so I could ease out, you know, and then get it running in neutral, going down the road, and then pop that clutch and hope that baby <laughs> cranked. Because <laughs> if I didn't, and then, you know, you just barely hear it. You'd have to keep the clutch in and, and, and rev that engine real good and get that motor going, you know, and whew, thank God. Because if you got to the bottom of the hill and it hadn't started, then what? <laughs> then what? <laughs> yeah, that, that car was so slick and so smooth. i got to tell you. It was, it was the envy of everybody. Right. Yeah. Coming, coming home one day, got on a long road, and, um, and, and my clutch went. And, you know, that's the thing you push in to change gears. And uh, it's not an automatic. Okay. So I, I pushed the clutch in, and it wasn't working. Yeah. And thankfully, I had gotten the over to fourth gear. But that meant that you had to keep the speed up. You know, you can't go five miles an hour in fourth gear. More like 55 miles an hour in fourth gear. And in my case, probably 85, knowing how I drove. <laughs> you know, I was only 18, you know, so I was going to drive like an idiot until I went to court and they charged me $100. And that was the first ticket I ever had. I wish I could say it was the last one I ever had. But I, I, being a preacher and having the Holy Ghost and baptized in Jesus' name, I can't lie. <laughs> so I'm not going to be able to say that. <laughs> but I'm sure trying to do better. Oh, yeah. But <laughs> just trying to tell you that uh, if we, you know, if we humble ourselves, if we humble ourselves, we can get God's attention in a good way. And that he will, he will see and understand our situations. And he will be more inclined to help us, okay, more, much more inclined to help us. Ezra was so grieved that when the people were carried away from Jerusalem to Babylon, and uh, the only redeeming thing, I suppose, about Babylon, that kingdom and under Nebuchadnezzar was that they were able to have their own little ghetto, or if you're French, jetto. <laughs> and they, they, in other words, they were able to stay together. Because the other ten tribes, they got carried away to Assyria, and they practiced assimilation. They just, they just had to fit into society and become like the Assyrians. They couldn't retain their identity like they did in Babylon. Babylon, they could still go about and be who they had been trained to be. And that's why when the, the Lord worked through a succession of kings, foreign kings, and got the program going back in the right direction, because Jerusalem had been pretty much destroyed, and now we want to, God's in a rebuilding mode. And he wants them to go back and find some people that are loyal and faithful and stirred up and want to be a part, want to do. And so, Ezra was one of those. He was a leader among them. He was a ready scribe. And uh, along with others like Nehemiah. But the point is, is that God raised up some men that were foreign kings and had been hostile. But now, you know, he's got them tamed. He's, got them, he's patting them on the head and he's, you know, talking to them a little bit. Next thing you know, they're telling the Jewish people to go back. You, whoever among you wants to go and is willing. Oh, that's a key word. Willing. Yes. And they, there were those. There were those that wanted to go back. Not everybody, but there were those that wanted to go back. And under leadership, they did. But then Ezra began to realize that we've got some people that when they were in these other places carried away by the enemy, that they, they did some things wrong. They picked up some bad habits. They made some very poor decisions. They went against the Word of God, the teaching of God, while they were in captivity. It was like they, you know, had that kind of moment when they 
just forgot everything, unfortunately. You know, it becomes very easy. It really does. It becomes easy to fall from grace. It really does. And uh, that is Bible terminology, by the way. Ye are fallen from grace. It's just a more polite way, I think, of saying backslidden, sliding back, going backwards, not going forward, and uh, getting weaker instead of stronger. You know, so Ezra was, hence, like I read to you here in the ninth chapter. Everybody said, praise the Lord. Here's a little more in the ninth chapter. Now, when these things were done, the princes came to me saying, the people and the priests and the Levites have not separated themselves from the people of the lands, doing according to their abominations. And he even named the different ones, Canaanites, Hittites, Ammonites, whatever, Egyptians, the whole thing. And they got involved with things that they had been strictly taught not to get involved with. But now they took advantage, I guess. Might say it that way. Felt like they had an excuse. Plausible excuse. A believable excuse. But you know, God wasn't buying it. He wasn't buying it. And Ezra, that's why he began to, to pray. That's why he, you know, I think I read to you his heaviness. My heaviness, he said. He was so burdened. He even ripped his, his that was their way doing in Israel. They would rip their garment. Well, you have to hope you wasn't wearing your Sunday best, huh? And, that, and he fell on his knees and he spread out his hands unto God. And he said, I'm ashamed and I blush to lift up my face to thee, my God. For our iniquities are increased over our head. And our trespass is grown up unto the heavens. We live in a very, a very sinful world. We're not of the world when we get baptized in Jesus' name and get filled with the gift of the Holy Ghost. That's what places us in the body of Christ. When you use the word church, that really means called out people. Call, it's not a building. That's a church house. That's what houses the church. The people that have been delivered from sin. People that have been saved. People that have been born again of water and of the Spirit. Tonight, we intend to baptize a couple, a brand new couple that we've been working with, Pastor and Sister Mila in particular, and we're going to baptize them if everything goes well tonight, and uh, that's when you're born again of water, when you're baptized in water by full immersion in the name of Jesus Christ. I've actually seen people show pictures of people going down to the water to their waist and then show a guy taking a little cup and pouring water on the head. Does that even make any sense? I don't think I'm going to wade down into waist-deep water to get a little dribble on my head. Hello. Time to laugh. Ha-ha. Because <laughs> it is rather ridiculous. <laughs> it is rather ridiculous. The Scripture, the word baptism, it, it means immersion. It means to be fully dipped under. That's what it means. Amen. Amen and amen and amen. And every example in the Scripture, which would be New Testament, basically, they were immersed in the river in many instances. Oh, yes. So to be baptized by immersion in water, doesn't matter what water, because it said be born again of water and of the Spirit. So that article, the, T-H-E, all you wonderful English students, that's uh, very particular. We don't want just any spirit. But, you know, any water will do. We've had men that were called to preach that were in the, in the armed services and served in Vietnam, and they baptized a lot of people in muddy ditches as long as they could get them all the way under. Full immersion. One man took a truck 
and he lined the back bed of that pickup truck like a swimming pool almost, and he filled it with water, and he would baptize people in the back of his truck in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of all their sins. So there's nothing particular. It doesn't matter if it's the waters of uh, Belglade or the waters of Chattahoochee, <laughs> wherever that is, okay? It doesn't matter. What matters is the name. That's what matters. Amen. To be fully immersed in the name of Jesus Christ. And that's for the remission or the full pardon of all of your sins. And that's because the blood is in his name. Okay? Don't you just love that song? Nothing but the blood. Everybody loves to sing that song. Ooh, everybody. But the majority of them don't know how to get that blood. They just sing about it. A lot of people just sing. You know, a lot of people just talk. A lot of people profess what they do not possess. Very important to study the whole book. Not just, you don't just take one little thing you like out of there, we call it a candy stick, and uh, run with that and ignore everything else, you know. That's why a lot of people have diabetes. Because all they do is go for the sugar. They don't want any meat and potatoes. I had one woman tell me many years ago, I was out knocking doors and I came upon a place and they were actually having some kind of meeting in there. And I, I began to talk to them and I said something about doctrine. Doctrine! I don't like that word! And I said, whoa. I said, well, you know what? It, it, it's a Bible word. <laughs> it's actually called the doctrine of Jesus Christ <laughs> in one place. So, uh, you know. But that doesn't matter to some people, you know. And the reason is because they're not born again. So they're in the flesh. And the flesh is contrary to the things of God. And that's why when you get born again of water and of the Spirit and making you a part of the body of Christ and you're built upon the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone, you're in the Spirit, and you want to continue in the Spirit. You want to pray. You want to fast. You want to study. You want to get that flesh under control because it will pop up and it will rise up. And you'll look like, spiritually, you'll look like an overgrown garden that needs a good spraying. Everybody said amen. Amen. In our case, needs a good praying. Because we have this flesh to contend with. You know, some people believe once saved, always saved. Bible doesn't teach that. Unless you complete it, once saved, always saved. If you stay saved. You go grow your garden. And, I don't know, tomatoes or lettuce or whatever you want, I guess. And uh, don't forget the corn. And whatever you like and whatever. You do that. You don't spray. You don't. They've actually asked the farmers, is, is the crop dusting necessary? And the farmers have answered, yes, without that, we wouldn't have a crop. The bugs alone would destroy it. Well, what I'm saying is if you're going you're gonna to try to grow a healthy crop and you're not going to spray and you're not going to weed, you're going to find out between the bugs and the weeds, they're going to choke out and steal your harvest. So there's some countermeasures that have to take place. There's some things we have to do. Because, you know, you can be hugging that little sweet thing, and that little sweet thing might be nothing but a devil, a devilish attitude, a bad attitude, and God looking at it and say, let's pluck that up. Let's cut that down and pluck it up. We're not going to cumber the ground with it any longer. Not going to put up with this any longer. And I've seen God move people. I've seen him do it. There's times when, you know, and there's Moses. 
He's just standing there. No doubt his knees were knocking a little bit. God tell him, step aside. You only think keeping me from going forward in this situation. Well, that's that tree. <laughs> that's got a pastor to pray for it and to fertilize it, dung around it, as opposed to that tree that Jesus said, you're out of here. They came back a few minutes later and, whoo, that tree done gone, Lord. I like that one where there was leadership to, to pray and to intercede and try to help. And Moses surely did. I'm telling you, Moses surely did. Old Moses pulled out Psychology 101. <laughs> and he said, now, God, you know what? If you kill all these people out here, all the nations are going to say that that's what you brought them out here for, just to kill them. Think about your reputation. <laughs> and I'm like, good job, Moses, good job. Because yeah. he, held, he held off God. It's like he had his hand right in the middle of God's chest saying, no, 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 no. <laughs> no, no, no. Let's talk about this. <laughs> Let's have a meeting. Oh, brother. Well, Ezra found himself with a congregation of people that had been carried away and now they're being inspired to come back and get with it and happy, most of them, about that. Only problem was they hadn't been living very holy while they were in captivity. They hadn't been living according to the way that they had been taught from God and His Word. And oh, boy. They were a, a rather shaggy-looking group. Looked like Woodstock had blown into town. And uh, so, hence, Ezra is heavy, burdened for the situation. And he could feel the vibration. You know, John, the apostle, when he was a young man, he was considered to be a, a fatherless young man, and that Jesus had taken him during his days of his earthly ministry under his wing with the other apostles. And uh, John was, was able to, at the table, to kind of lean over a little bit and just kind of put his head on Jesus' chest. And the apostles were all worried because the Spirit that had been fighting, 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 was building. And Jesus had told them what was going to happen, but the Bible said they didn't get it. They didn't understand what he was talking about, about going to Jerusalem and be mistreated and, and uh, spit on and whipped and, and then eventually crucified, die. They didn't get it. The Bible said that. They did not get it. It wasn't yet given to them to get it. Their understanding had not yet been opened. You know, you can get exalted and think you're all that. And you don't know nothing. You don't know anything. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And so, it's important to embrace humility. Somebody told me not too long ago, they said, man, there's just so much problem and so much situation. And said, I, I'm, just, I'm just praying and reading my Bible. <laughs> That's a good thing to do. That's the right thing to do. Oh, yes, because we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but we wrestle against principalities and powers and spiritual wickedness in high places. Yeah. We were at a... This has been a while ago. We were at a place, and I had some of the church family with me, and one of the young men, the waitress, was very rude. And uh, one of the young men said, Senior Pastor, what did you ever do to that waitress? And I laughed, and I said, not a thing. I said, the spirit in her just doesn't like the spirit in me. 
very often that's exactly the explanation. You know, Jesus walking down the street, devils would cry out, we know who you are. Oh, yeah, they knew who he was. <laughs> and they know who Holy Ghost people are. You better believe that. Hear me when I tell you that's the God's truth. And they fear. They fear. And they have a lot of good reason to fear. You see, the first split that ever took place, the first departure from God and his, his work and what he was doing, what he was promoting, was in heaven. The Bible teaches you the war broke out in heaven, and you'd scratch your head over that when you think, that's a mighty funny place for war to break out. That's heaven. That's where we're all shooting to go. But you see, some things had to be taken care of early. Reminded me of my pastor telling me about in the early days, back in 31, that's a long time ago, <laughs> and uh, so he said he went out as he had habit to do, way out deep in the woods, to have prayer. There were very few buildings, very few, I mean, scant few, and uh, they mostly met in people's homes and had what they call cottage prayer meetings. And then they begin to build brush arbors. And uh, kind of look like a tiki hut almost. A little bigger, of course. But the roof was made out of leaves and stuff. And so he went out early one morning to pray, as was his habit. And he, he uh, they had a fallen tree, big old log, big, big, big log laying there, and he was going to kneel down at it, start praying, and all of a sudden he saw something. <laughs> Reminded me of what my wife told me. I don't know what made her think of it, Brother Donnie, but she said um, one day they were downstairs. We used to have windows. We don't anymore downstairs. We, we got rid of those, made more security. But we had windows then, and they were just the jealousy kind, and you, you know, open them up. And uh, she said she was down there, and I had taken some of the older young men and, uh, and maybe some of the older young ladies, and we had some kind of activity, and we went. And she stayed and took care of the younger ones. And she said, uh, all of a sudden, and this thing was coming inside the window. I think it's called a snake. Now, me and my wife, she, we don't get along with snakes. Me, I kill them. She screams and runs. But she's the cheerleading group, and I'm the... <laughs> I, but I was gone. You know, I was gone. That's the only reason I, I had a, a putter or an eight iron was because killing snakes. You know, you know. So um, anyway, she was literally freaking out. And uh, you know, it's amazing how in a panic sometimes you can forget about prayer. <laughs> I think she eventually got around to that. <laughs> but uh, at the moment, you know. But our Savior that day came in the name of Donnie. And he was outside with his trusty machete. And he was trimming the leaves and off the branches and stuff like that. And... Uh, and, if, and he's good at that, and along with a lot of other things. But um, somehow, Brother Donnie! <laughs> in came that, that face in the window, you know. <laughs> There's a snake trying to get in here. So he located the snake, and he pulled him back out, and chopped, made chopped, chopped liver out of him, and threw him in a canal, and that was the end of that. You know, went back to doing the trees, never thought nothing about it. <laughs> and all the women are down. Oh, yeah, that was something else, my, my goodness gracious. Well, you know, I'm trying to say that Brother Dunn went to pray, and, and uh, that little snakehead started coming up out of the, that big round tree that had been knocked over and was rotting, and I guess he had himself a little nest, a little hole down in there, and he was coming out. So they taught you in those days to get you a limber branch. It had to be just the right kind of thing.
and he hunted around and found him one. And he came back and he used the end of that and juked until that snake come up out of that hole. And then he, because he said, you know, first things first. You know, you got to fight the devil where you meet him. <laughs> you know, you, you can't tell him, hold it, I want to pray. That's not going to work with the devil. Okay, so you got to deal with him. And so, you know, Brother Dunn juked that, and that snake come up out of the hole, and then whoop! He whooped him silly <laughs> and took care of him and said, ah, now we can pray. <laughs> so, you know, sometimes, sometimes you got to realize you got to take care of some things, take care of some business. And one of those things is called repentance. You, know, you don't want to be coming, you know, with your nose up in the air. I remember I told one young preacher one time, I said, you know, I don't know how you're going to get righteous with God because you've lied and you just keep on living the lie. And he put his nose up in the air, literally, and he said, I will be righteous with God. And I just said, I don't know how. I don't know how you're going to do it. But that's going to be between you and God. You know? Just, and God has taken care of it. And he knows how to take care of things. I well remember going up and down all over this sanctuary in the dark. I only had one accident in all 44 years. I missed a step. <laughs> and I went, whoop. I was back to my holy roller days, I promise you. <laughs> and, uh, but I, other than that, I pretty much know my way around here real good. And um, it, almost every nook and cranny and crack and sound. And uh, so anyway, I, I was praying, and I just told God, I said, you know what? I said, I need your answer. You're reading the Bible at their wit's end? Well, I was at my wit's end. You know, when you try, shall we say, every trick, you try every little bit of wisdom, you rob Solomon, you take all his wisdom, and you, you get a hold of everything you can get a hold of, and you employ it, you try, and you try, and you try. And uh, I know you men that have gone fishing, and you know all the, maybe some of the ladies too, you know all those tricks, but sometimes they just ain't biting, you know, they just ain't happening. And, uh, you know, you can do all kinds of things in an attempt to get somebody to become cooperative. You know, just come on, just work with me here. We can, we can get over this. We can get past this. We can get by this. You know, everything could be all right. Or, as they say, Harry. You know. But, you know, sometimes people just don't want it to be right. They just don't want it to be right. I don't know how anybody could have had any better opportunity than Judas Iscariot. And I will give you his last name because there was another Judas, and I'm pretty sure he made it clear to lots of people, I'm not that Judas! I'm not that Judas! You know, <laughs> he went through life, I guess, doing that. <laughs> I'm not that one. Oh, brother, you read the Bible and they say, that was that Mary, you know. That was the one that poured the ointment on him. That was that Mary, the Scripture said. Very important adjective there. Very important. And so Judas Iscariot, I, I don't believe he could have had things any better. You know? Nothing any better. And I've seen people go, and I've felt the same way. They couldn't have had it better. But somehow, just like these folks, they got to mixing and mingling and involving themselves. You know, they know every worldly song, every worldly move. You know, they know every team, they know every statistic. They're just, you know, they know it's on sale at the mall before the mall knows it's on sale. You know? Oh, yeah. In other words, they're just so involved with everything but. Yeah. Until, you know, 
And, of course, nowadays, nowadays, oh, yeah, we don't only know all those things, but we know everybody's business because everybody's business on social media. Oh, yeah. And there are people that just live on social media. I had one sister in the church that told me, she said, I had to repent and I had to overcome it and I just had to quit it. She said, I was on there almost 24 hours a day. It's very, there are things that the enemy brings, church family, that are addictive, very addictive to the flesh. And the enemy wants to pierce your armor. and He wants to get to the flesh. He wants to get you very much involved in anything but the church. He don't want you involved with that. And this is what Ezra wound up with. People were coming back, but they, they weren't looking too good. They were looking worse for the wear. And so he got burdened. He started praying. And he told God, I'm, I'm ashamed to lift up my face. He was, he was just turning colors. You know, you, the blood was rushing to his face. And, and he was just blushing to have to come to God and for what all was some people were doing and what they were involved with and what was going on. He was looking for forgiveness. He was looking for mercy, looking for compassion, looking for help. <laughs> the Lord is my helper. I'm so glad he's my helper. I'm glad he's my helper. Amen. 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 You know, you can start thinking, especially as a young person, so I won't let the elder people get by either. But you can get start thinking that, you know, you're just all that. You don't have anything to worry about. You can just skate on by. Okay? But it's just not true. It's just not true. One preacher told me many, many years ago, he's dead now, but he made the statement, he said, you can make a monster out of your flesh. You know? Don't you just love when you're in a, a store somewhere and, and that monster manifests itself in some child that's been spoiled? That's a Bible word, spoiled. And uh, throwing itself on the ground and kicking and screaming and just throwing a wall-eyed hissy fit, you know. And, you know, you, I love the parents. This is them. Everybody else is freaking out because this kid is freaking out. And nobody's doing anything about it. But I promise you, if some responsible person stepped up and tried to quiet and control that child, that parent would quit doing what they're doing. Boy, they'd turn on you in a heartbeat. And be just as ugly as all get out. Which is why the child is like the child is. You know? I was kidding, and I was kidding, and the person I spoke to knows I was kidding. But I, they were given charge of a young lady in the school, a young one. And I said, you know what your theme song is, right? They looked at me, and I said, smack and crack, smack and crack. Tell everybody all about it. <laughs> so, no, we don't do that. That's why I said I was kidding. But um, it's kind of a cool jingle, isn't it? <laughs> Oh, brother. But I'm going to tell you, sometimes your kid needs a little smack and crack. And that smack ain't a drug, neither. That's the back of your hand. Oh, yeah. And, of course, they've definitely tried to outlaw that. Oh, Because, see, they want the devil is in this world, and he's raising up rebellious people. Young man coming across the bridge the other day, three, four, five of them, but one of them had a, a black T-shirt on and said, Obey no one. Oh, well, sounds like the theme of this generation. Yes, yes, yes. Amen. And I'm telling you what, we're living with a lot of attitude, 
We're having to tolerate a lot of attitude. We're having to stomach and put up with a lot of attitude. We're having to do that. The Bible talked about that spirit of Antichrist and how that he would, would absolutely change or think to change laws and times. Well, he's not going to be 100% successful, but he's going to have a percentage. He is going to get his, his pound, if you please. He's going to get his percentage. The things that are taking place and that you read about in the newspaper, you hear on the radio until you get sick of it, things that go on, the attitudes of people and the, the ways that they believe they can be. I heard not too long ago from a reputable source, and it does pay to check your sources. And, uh, but there was a young man, he was speeding on his motorcycle on I-95, which that right there tells you he's crazy, right? Uh, 95 is dangerous enough in a, in a, what's that thing called, a Hummer? <laughs> the big one. You know, the one that looks like a tank that, of course, they don't make them anymore. But I'm saying, you, you know, that's dangerous enough on I-95. And uh, this, this kid was doing over 100 miles an hour. And when he got pulled over, he argued with the officer because the officer told him, basically told him, you're crazy. He said, you're, you're going to die. He said, you're going way too fast. He said, that's what I bought it for, to go fast. <laughs> I know that trooper was thinking about that gun right about then. <laughs> Maybe I ought to just knock him out. <laughs> oh, brother. You're talking about attitude. Oh, man. Man trying to save you. And you're talking to him like that. Oh, gee, I've never had that experience. <laughs> oh, brother. Oh, brother. My God, my God. So... It comes down to Ezra had to pray. Ezra had to deal with the whole mess up of things, of them coming out of captivity and trying to get things going in the right direction. And he appealed to God. And, of course, that's what we've got to do, church family. We've got to, we've got to repent. We've got to humble ourselves. We've got to put it in God's hands. And we've got to go forward. We've got to go forward. Somebody said time waits for no man. Well, I suppose that's true. But I, I also find out that God's church and God is not going to keep on waiting. Now, I won't say there isn't some that gets done. There is some because there's that praying over that unproductive tree. You know, There's that love that God puts in the heart of the pastor for the flock. No doubt about it. But there's a, there's a point. There comes a time when God just, we're moving now. And you know, coming out of Egypt, he gave them a cloud by day to shade them from the sun. And he gave them one by night, fire, so that they could be warm and they could see and protected. The Bible teaches that three million people, approximately, being led by Moses and that pillar of fire by night and cloud by day, that uh, there came the time when that cloud would settle and the whole camp would put their luggage down, if you please, and they'd get their things ready for something to eat and then get a good night's rest. Maybe they'd stay there for a few days because the cloud stayed there. But when that cloud started to move, honey, you better pack up your bags or you're going to be left behind in the hot, burning desert where there's all kinds of enemies, all kinds of that which will take you and destroy you. That cloud got to moving, buddy. You got to moving with it. And I'm telling you, I've seen God. One place he said, 
I want you to turn in this direction. I could name the direction, but at the moment it's not necessary. He said, I want you to turn in this direction. He said, you've compassed this place, this mountain, long enough. Time to move on. You know, God is a forward-moving God. His church is a forward-moving congregation. We've got a place to go. What was it said in Hebrews 11? He looked for a, a city which hath foundations, whose builder and maker is God. Yeah. And they had lots of opportunity to turn back. They had lots of opportunity to go in different directions. But they followed God. They followed Him. And everybody said amen. amen. Everybody said praise the Lord. So, you know, you got to keep up. You got to keep up. You got to keep up with this thing. You can't just drag and drag and drag. And the same thing goes if, if you become a visitor and you're learning. You need to be learning. Jesus said, learn of me. You know, you can't just, like a lot of kids do, sit in the classroom and, you know, you don't care anything. You're not paying attention. you Daydreaming, whatever, you know. And uh, when it comes time, and I always tell ours, you, there's, there's ways to shortcut. There's ways to cheat and be dishonorable. Sure there is. Eventually we usually catch you. But, you know, we don't want to spend our lives trying to catch you. We want to go forward. We want to help you to go forward and everybody else. And uh, the point being that, there are people that think that they're going to cut all the corners and that they're going to get by. But one day, as I tell them, you're going to have to take a test, at least one, if you intend to go forward to higher education, we'll say, or maybe even a job. Lots of times they'll test you on a job. And uh, it's just you and what you've got in here. That's it. Not going to be any tutors. Mommy's not going to be there. Okay? Yeah. And then all of that little shenanigans that you'd been pulling and think you were getting away with, it's going to show up now. It's going to show up. It's like, it's like people that, that don't, aren't faithful and honorable with God and the church with their tithing. And they think they're going to get by. But you know what? All of a sudden, and it seems like to me all of a sudden, but it, it sometimes takes a little while. But, you know, I don't know if you've ever put anything in a bag and it just whoop right through and it's on the ground. The bag had a hole in it. That's what God said he's going to do to people. What did it say? Will a man rob God? Well, I've known some to do it, and some women too. Oh, yeah. yeah. And, oh, we got reasons, we got excuses, we got this, we got that. Okay. Yeah. But then you're getting poorer. Bills are mounting. Maybe sickness. A lot of things can happen. A lot of things can happen. You get that bag, get a hole in it. You get to wherever you're going, you all of a sudden don't have anything. Oh, man, tell you what, you live for God right. You honor God. You love God. I don't care how desperate your situation gets. God will come through. Amen. Amen. You want a faith builder? I'll give you a faith builder. I was getting ready to, to purchase land to build a church. And... I'd met with the people and that owned it, the land, and they told me if I could give them cash or a check, in other words, they would give me a $25,000 discount instead of $200,000 would be $175,000 for that five acres of land. And so that day came when I was supposed to go meet them at 1 o'clock down in Boca to sign the contract, and uh, I got up, and I showered, shaved, and, you know, ready to go put my uniform on, <laughs> and uh, I, uh, 
I got a phone call. 9 a.m. Got a phone call. Said you can uh, go down to the bank now. There's a check waiting for you. Okay, thank you. I, I believe that might have been back in the days of you hang up the phone. I don't know. I can't remember when the cell phone started, but I believe this was around 98 or 99. And uh, that seems a long time ago now to me. <laughs> and uh, I went down to the Bank of Belgrade, and I went to the appointed person, and he just slid a check across the, his desk, $200,000. God even gave me a $25,000 tip. Wasn't that nice? <laughs> Amen. Amen. Well, he knew we were going to have to hire equipment to fix the land up and get it ready, and he, he gave it to us, and, and we built that church. We thank God for it today. Everybody said amen. Everybody said praise the Lord. He's a good God. He's a great God. He's a mighty God, I'm trying to tell you. You just be faithful. Be loyal. Be true. Don't rob him. Don't betray him. Don't turn against him. Don't turn back. Don't do the things that you have been taught are wrong to do. Do the things that are right to do. If you're struggling, time to pray. Time to pray. Who, me? Yeah, you. <laughs> How about, yeah, us? You know, everybody, everybody. There are no exceptions. Amen and amen and amen and amen and amen. Thank God and thank God and thank God. All right. Well, you know, I, I kind of want to keep preaching, but I think I'll, since you're standing, I'll take advantage of that. And uh, everybody said, God bless the offering. God bless the offering. In Jesus' name. Jesus name. Gentlemen, if you would please. And gentlemen and ladies, if you would please. Thank God.